of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio where you will also find a link to today's extra magical guest, Alex Kazemi, the author of Pop Magic, A Simple Guide to Bending Reality. And let me tell you, folks, I've been saying that I'm going to cut down on the rambling at the beginning of these interviews and save whatever rambling I have to do for afterwards so we can just get right into the good stuff. But today, I don't think there will be much rambling on either end because I have pulled a muscle. This is super sexy information to share with you. I have pulled a muscle at my lower back that like stretches down into my leg (laughs) and has turned me into a granny and sitting in a chair is problematic and I need to sit in the chair to record this for you. It's actually lowering myself into the chair and rising from the chair or the bed that is a problem it's the transition periods that are the problem but also just a lot of sitting so that's what you get when you're on lockdown i have done excessive sitting and i think that this is a consequence of that even though the kid and i have been taking walks every day wearing our masks how sick of the masks are you How sick of the masks are we all? I'm pretty sick of it, and I feel like an asshole saying that because it's really important that we wear masks when we go out in public right now, but it's so frustrating when it's a beautiful, sunny spring day, and I can't breathe, and and my head itches from the elastic on the mask, and, and my face is sweating within the mask speaking of sexy it's all very sexy but also i'm willing to do it for the cause and i know my suffering with my pulled muscle any frustrations i'm having on falling behind on the podcast and my work the face masks it's all good because there are people that are really really going through it right now scary stuff sad stuff dangerous stuff so I'm in no position to complain but I do feel those of you who are who are feeling the itch to rip the mask off your face and just breathe some fresh air or to go out in public like we used to do and it'll be interesting to see how the new normal very slowly unfolds and what exactly that is going to look 
like. So in the spirit of not rambling, here I go rambling. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Let me thank the amazing patrons who keep this podcast going. Thank you so much to everybody supporting the show, especially right now when I know that money is tight for so many people. I really appreciate that you are taking a little bit out of your budget to keep this podcast going and to keep a roof over the kid and I's head. And I want to give a special shout out to new patrons, Stephanie Nelson, Lisa Wansia, Wansia. Welcome back, Tweety. I see you there, Tweety. Todd Derrick and Mermaid Yoon. Thank you all. There's tons and tons and tons of bonus content over there. So dig in, have fun going through the archives. Go hop over on Discord and hang out with everyone else. I think the community is the best part of what we have going on over on Patreon. And without any further ado, let's roll into this interview with Alex talking about pop magic. I think this one is going to be controversial, especially the sex stuff, because Alex has a really unique and interesting perspective on sex on the energy that is expended when you engage in certain modern day expressions of sexuality, let's say. And I know some of you might scream that this is not a sex positive message, but I think if you listen very, very carefully to what he's saying, you might hear it in a different way. And I love that a young man is saying these things. I think that makes it extra interesting and exciting. We talk about lots of other stuff, but let's just lead with sex, shall we? <laughs> my sexy pulled muscle, my sexy mask, and this sexy interview without any further ado. Did I say that already? I think I did. And then there was some ado. Here we have him, Alex Kazemi. Hi, Alex. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. How are you today? Very good. Really excited that we're going to talk about pop magic, which is your specialty and a big interest of mine. I'm really interested in pop culture and magic both. And when you smush those things together, you have my attention. Well, I'm really excited because I, I actually used, you know, magic to get here. This was this was a podcast that I really wanted to manifest myself on. So this is really special for me today. Oh, thank you. You know, it's interesting. There are a lot of stories like that throughout your book, Pop Magic, a simple guide to bending your reality. There's there are <laughs> little stories like that about you meeting and working with a lot of interesting people in the pop culture realm. And I think it's fun that there's that personal thread that runs through this book. And I'm super happy that I get to be a part of that narrative today anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I really wanted to put, you know, real stories of, of practical application of magic so people can feel inspired to, you know, use magic after reading the book because I think that can sometimes be a problem in the occult or manifestation community where everything becomes theory and not actually practicing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to me your age and how much you have 
accomplished in terms of, I would say, permeating the pop culture world. I think coming from out of nowhere, like you just created connections for yourself and hustled through the biz and you've worked as a journalist and an artist and various different ways. And I believe you're 25. Is that right? Yeah, I am. I am 25 and I started pretty, pretty young and I had a a, a very kind of needy ambition to to kind of accomplish these things. If I saw something in my head, I had to create it. And and magic is kind of an explanation of that kind of mentality. So a lot happened really fast. So I'm still kind of processing it, even this. Mm-hmm. I don't think magic cares why you get into magic. I think getting into magic, I think a lot of people get into magic for as you said, needy, ambitious reasons. And then magic starts unfolding and you're like, holy shit, this is real. This is actually happening. What can I, what end can I use this to? Exactly. And I think, you know, I kind of feel like I would want someone who discovers this book to kind of manifest their dreams and and their material dreams and and kind of go to the next level after that, which is kind of really doing that soul work and you know you know doing the hard shadow work and 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 that kind of stuff. But I would want people to use the book to manifest their material material dreams to know that it's not everything at the end of the day. Also, yeah, you know, I moved when I was gosh, 19, 18, 19, no, 19. I moved to Hollywood in pursuit of all the things that people moved to Hollywood for. And so I've known a lot of people that have taken that path and it's a path. It's a legit path. It can destroy you and it can be the most beautiful thing ever. It can build you up. And I do think those first steps of using magic to simply just get something that you want, something really materialistic is a yes. part of the path for a lot of people because it just shows you this is real, this is possible. And then, you know, as you mature spiritually, especially you start to ask deeper questions and you might manifest things that aren't as fulfilling as you hoped they would be. And then that leads to more yeah. questions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's so interesting that you say that because that is so true about the paths of Hollywood and the paths of, you know, what what ends up happening when you end up putting yourself out there and and you've focused so much on the ego and the self. And I think a lot of people who are in these type of industries like Hollywood are operating off of a wound or a neediness. And I used to identify with my idols because of that reason. And now I see it as something that... I want to catch and heal before because I because like you said, I see it destroy people. It can destroy some of the greatest artists and and your values can change and and it's it's all kind of holographic and and not really real. It's an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what destroys them is not the thing that they're trying to acquire, be it fame or money. It's the pursuit of it and that wound sort of like festering and turning into something really toxic within. The, the external just sort of reflects that back at them. Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. You know, that's, that's so true. It's the pursuit because it's really about, you know, people who have these type of dreams usually are trying to get their survival needs met and their safety needs, needs met through this validation and this recognition. But it's so tra- transient and, it's, and, it, and it, it's so insatiable. You know, like what Gabor Mate says, it's like the hungry ghost 
of addiction. And I think that is something that I've struggled with in my own life. And um, because it's been so normalized from all the celebrities and Hollywood type people I've been around, I never got to really look at the wound until I was writing the book. Yeah, you do a great job of of exploring that too without... I mean, this is a fairly slim book where you are literally teaching us magic, like some basics, a nice foundation for magic, but just those little personal touches, I think, in addition to this having like a pop magic context, I think that's what makes it special and different. And... You said something that caught my eye about see the pain is a seed. Yeah. I wondered if you could expand on that a little bit because I thought that was such a cool idea. Well, I think I think pain is a seed because what it ends up creating is is these trials that you end up surviving. And if you survive those trials, you can survive anything. And like our global consciousness right now with COVID and, and, and Corona and all of us in quarantine and, and we're just all kind of going through a life interruption that's collective and we all kind of thought we were not immune to it, like that, that we, this could never ever happen to any of us. I think if we can harness our will and our magical consciousness at this time and, and really try to remain positive, we can all get this, get together with unity and unity consciousness to help each other and I think, you know, there's different trials that come from different pains that that the seed grows. Yeah. I I don't remember where I I talked about this, but I have talked before recently about how the big they that everybody talks about, be it in the context of a conspiracy theory or just talking about the government or super, the super, super wealthy people often take advantage of a crisis. This is an unprecedented crisis in our time. It, like you said, it just disrupted our entire concept of what is normal. And I think how amazing would it be if we also took advantage of it to create the kind of change we want and we're witches and we're manifestors and we're creators and artists. And how amazing would it be if we all united in creating the kind of reality we want going forward? Exactly. And like Kabbalistically, this would be viewed as an opportunity. We would view this pain as an opportunity to use alchemy and to try to transmute this darkness into a light time and, and, you know, start to connect to gratitude, start to write the people we love letters, start to really start to pay attention of, of our own privilege to be sitting here and talking on this podcast, you know, things like that, or even for the people who are listening, you know, we have to sort of stay more present. And I think what's so interesting is, is that we are such a society that's obsessed with success and productivity and results. And we're kind of in the global consciousness slowing down a little. And, you know, that's a great time to do inner work. But, you know, at home, we can create our new routines and our new lifestyles because it is a dangerous time for people who struggle with addiction or mental health because, you know, isolation doesn't help. And I think we have to try to be productive in a new way that is, that is healing for us in, in this new reality that has been awakened. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I say none of this to be disrespectful to anybody who's in the hospital or who has lost a loved one. I mean, that is a real loss that people are experiencing. I'm just saying us collectively, we're built for this spiritually. Like this is what we've been preparing for. I mean, our whole lives are what we've been preparing for, but this is such a 
special blown up perspective on uncertainty. Like life itself is uncertain, (laughs) but now we're, we're all just kind of like, Whoa, talk about living in the moment. We're being forced to, because we don't know how this ends. We don't have facts except for the small few that are rolling out day by day in terms of this coronavirus and or COVID-19 and how that changes too. Like they say one thing is true one day and then it changes the next day. And I'm like, wow, talk about having to live in the moment and have faith and trust in yourself. It's just such an exaggerated version of life right now. Exactly. And I think, you know, these, these type, we should all look at COVID right now as kind of a metaphor for the life interruptions that happen in our lives and how, when these trials come up, this is when we kind of use our divine magical tools and consciousness to survive them and to come out on the other side, beaming in light, because like you said, we have been prepared. No one ever told us that life was going to be easy and no one ever said that life was going to be simple. The the purpose of our soul's path unfolding, whether it comes to our astrological DNA, our soul DNA, we have to just kind of handle things as they come. What else is there to do? We We can't control other things. So you know what we can control is our thoughts and our positive thinking and and finding solutions and trying our best and exhausting every resource to find a positive solution. Yeah. I would even challenge you like play devil's advocate here for a moment and say that in the West, in America, I live in the United States, we have been told that things will be easy, that you just take this pill and like magic, this goes away. You just press this button and this happens. We're so seeped in privilege that we're it's this bizarre illusion that we've been sold that if you just buy the right product or sign up for the right thing, everything will be easy. And that rug has been so ripped out from underneath us. I think there's this outrage that comes with entitlement bumping up against something like that. Yeah, no. Wow. That's, that's actually very, very true because if you think about it, all of the marketing to Americans and in North America is kind of life should be, life is going to be easy if you do this. So they're kind of asking people to have the least amount of effort. Whereas right now we need the most amount of conscious effort to use our survivalism and magical consciousness to survive. And you're exactly right in that way, because it it does kind of, it's really shaking up the glitch in the simulation. You know, it's creating, it's, it's changing everything and no one is immune to it. It's the equalizer in a lot of ways. Wow. Who did you just echo there? Madonna in the bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) That was a pop moment. (laughs) That was was a Kabbalah moment, actually. Oh, do you think so? I'd love to hear your take on that. I think... I think she doesn't mean any harm or evil. I think she's just in her own world and she always kind of has been. And I think she truly does believe in the power of Kabbalah and magic. And this is just kind of her way of trying to communicate it to people. And also I think it's possible that she, she's always been very open about their, her having the survivalism, neediness wound for attention and publicity and stardom and um, we're kind of seeing what that's like at her age, you know, and, and what, what kind of happens. 
Yeah, yeah, that's so true. For people who have no idea what we're talking about, maybe you're not on social media. I don't know why you wouldn't know, but Madonna made a video (laughs) from her bathroom talking about how this virus is the great equalizer and it created tons of backlash about her being crazy, this being privilege, her being, you know, like it was a lot of, a lot of stuff came, came out of that one video. And, and really it's pretty on theme for Madonna, I have to say. Yeah, it is. And I think she's kind of connecting back to the Kabbalistic theory of Ein Sof, how we're all equal and we all came from the same, we're all stripped from the same cloth and our souls are equal. So I think, you know, it's really based in Kabbalah, a lot of her thinking. Have you studied the Kabbalah at all? I'm familiar with it. It hasn't been a major topic of mine that I've really delved into, but I'm, I like the mystical side of religion and I'm interested in how religion has separated that out from itself to where you just sort of have dogma over here and the mysticism that the religion was originally founded in over here. And I like to see people putting those things together. And that's what I see happening with Kabbalah to some degree. Yeah. And I think what's, what's great about pop magic is that it, it, it's the non-dogmatic, non-discriminatory tools that make up most spiritualities and religions. So you could even use the tools of magic and alchemy to create your own spiritual system. It's just these foundation baseline tools that are connected to all religions and all spiritualities. So I think, you know, you know, prayer is a form of magic, you know? So I think it's really important to for people to free their minds and not have non-dogmatic thinking and and not institutionalized thinking. I'm kind of really advocating for that as well, for people to deprogram from everything else. Cause there's even dogma in the magic and occult world. A hundred percent there is. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's kind of how I came to creating my own magical practice is because when you first discover something like Wicca, for example, and you get the, the early books, it's filled with dogma. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah. this is, I'm not looking for a new religion. I didn't drop one religion to pick up another one, but there were things exactly. in it that I found inspiring and things made its way into my practice. But I still draw from old Christian ideas or lots of pop culture. I think what artists do filmmakers writers painters is magic they're creating something out of nothing to stimulate other people and kind of to create an entire world i cannot separate the two from each other i see it very much as one and the same i agree with you and 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 it's kind of a form of magic for the artist to command attention to themselves also it's almost like people are feeling the energy and the vibration and they want to think about it and consume it and artists are very much like that and exactly like when you read the early wicca books you know an athene might not identify with someone and you know a lot of witches get early witches get anxiety being like oh do i have to you know buy the perfect altar do i have to do all this stuff really you don't magic is 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 very simple it's just been something that's been very overcomplicated for some odd reason and i guess that's what makes it so enigmatic and mysterious for people Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what we are. I, I think we've been separated from it. So it's really like a self-discovery journey that you go on when you find magic. And, and at first, I always think of Dumbo's feather. At first, you're like, I need this feather to be able to fly. And then one day you realize the feather was just a placebo. You actually don't need it. It's all inside of you. 
Exactly. And you know, what you just described, I also feel the same way. Don't you feel like discovering magic felt like a reconciliation? Like that's how I would describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's really weird and ironic how much it returned me to my Jesus loving roots when I was a little kid, because that experience was so magical until they laid the fire and brimstone stuff on me. There was a period where I was just like, I love Jesus. And I'd look up at the sky and it was like, oh, so magical. And I had an ongoing conversation with this invisible entity that I was certain was speaking with me. And it was interesting discovering, kind of circling back on something that I had completely thrown out and being like, well, maybe, you know, don't throw baby Jesus out with the bathwater. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, you know, I think in our childhood, we have early uh, signs that we are interested in spirituality and magic, whether you're a hypersensitive person or persecuted for your sensitivity or you feel different. When For some people, when you discover magic, it's like a lot of the universe's answers are right in front of you. And you're like, oh, it's okay to, you know, buy a fluorite stone and talk to a fairy. You know what I mean? No one's going to get mad at you for it. Mm-hmm. You know what got my attention, Alex? I, I get a lot of emails that I don't open because they're just sort of from people that don't really know what I do. They just sort of get wind that I have a podcast and they'll be like, dear hippie witch, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> we would like yeah, you yeah, to yeah. have this client on your show. And But you wrote pop magic, or what did you write? Mass deprogramming through pop magic. So I was like, oh, But the programming thing, that's where you got me. Because I think a lot about the programming that I feel we've been programmed out of our true nature. And that magic is a deprogramming exercise, really, or journey. It's bigger than one exercise. But it's that process. I I feel the exact same way. And I think that's probably... Um, Also what attracted Rose McGowan to the book, because she's such an advocate for that, exactly what you just said, is deprogramming people from society, from constructs, from from the misogyny in society, and really going through your mind and taking out what doesn't belong to you and giving it back to society. And I feel like magic can be a way to clear yourself out. And I'm not saying people go crazy when they discover magic, but they really get connected to their soul and their higher self. And certain things that uh, used to appeal you can start to kind of become inactive. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Rose and, and I know there's plenty of celebrity endorsements for this book, which is fitting for a book called Pop Magic. I know she wrote the foreword. I'm wondering what your relationship to celebrity is now? Like, what do you think it's useful for? Do you care about it? Do you want it for yourself? Like, what are your feelings about that? I think um, I've seen a lot of beautiful artists that I love and care about be destroyed by fame and and celebrity um, from the inability to distinguish the hyper real self versus their true self. And I see that also the pursuit and the neediness of when you get the spotlight and you get some attention, you're just craving it more and it becomes a survival mechanism. So, you know, I think what's good about fame and celebrity is, is that you can command attention towards real issues and create some kind of change because you have attention on you. And I think that that's something that does appeal to me is getting mass attention to teach people things that are positive, like magic you know, something, you know, that's why there's so many celebrities attached to this book is because I need to get people to listen to me. And I know that glamour and pop is a way to 
get people's attention in our society, but it's doing it in a more of a bait and switch way of a subversive way. Cause you think you're going to read this book about, you know, some kind of urban outfitters magic book, but I'm really teaching you what magic is and, and, and it's well studied and researched. And there's a big emphasis on creativity as well, which I, that's what magic is, <laughs> but you know, you teach people how to make a, sigil how to do candle magic and something i noticed that comes up a lot is sex and this is speaking of pop there's a moment in the tv show the magicians where a character says all magic is sex magic and the split second i heard that it just became a part of my worldview that all magic is sex magic because it immediately made sense even though it was from this like pop culture tv show i was like that is the truth. That's the truth. And so when I was going through your book, you have one chapter that's called sex magic, but then there's another chapter called sex magic and alchemy. (laughs) And I I just want to dive into that as much as we can here, because it's really cool, exciting, intriguing. You say the word sex and people come a running for sure. But yeah, but, 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 but this idea of all magic is sex magic. I think there's something to that. Yeah, I think our society kind of teaches us to give up our our energy to sex magic entities, whether it's corporations or porn websites or, you know, pornographic versions of sex and kind of teaching us that our sexual, um, Tinder, hookup apps, all of this stuff, teaching us that our sexual energy isn't magic and isn't sacred. It's just something to release and it's not something sacrilegious or magical. And a lot of people might feel like I'm Puritan because of that, but I actually know from studying sex magic that sex magic is very powerful and it's how people can be hypnotized by their attention to buy things, to give up their energy. It's kind of a, it can exist corporately as a psychic vampire and you can drain yourself of sex magic energy. Whereas if you start to think of sex magic as something that is valuable and you become conscious of that energy and you alchemize it and you transmute it, it can become extremely powerful. The way you present this too is here's where I used to be with it as somebody who watched a lot of porn and masturbated excessively, like all the things you would expect a young man to do. Here's where I started out with it and here's, where I'm at with it now. So it's a a bit of a journey that you share there. And I was married to a sex addict and I have a weird relationship with exactly what you're talking about because of that. It was revealed to me in a very shocking way that just rocked my world. And all of a sudden I saw that porn is everywhere. You cannot escape it. That was like a triggering thing for me. But then I realized like, not only can I not leave my house, I can't even open my computer because it's literally everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. And and you say that in the book, you wrote porn is everywhere. And I was like, preach. It is. It's everywhere from your Spotify to your uh, Apple music to um, a shampoo and eat. Yes. And it's, and it's, it's, it's a specific kind of porn. It's a youth worshiping porn. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, it's very, very specific. It was just fascinating me to kind of like we were saying about the the coronavirus ripping the rug out from me- neath us. Yeah. 
collectively. That's what yeah. that experience did to me on a personal level. And so I was really interested in those chapters. You said something about, I, I don't think you're like chastising anyone for this. It doesn't feel prudish. It's, no, no, it's like no, no. I was for, just... It's food for thought. You said something about posting nude photos and videos online. And you said the machine wants you to be a product. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I no, yeah. I'm not going to take that take that back. I completely agree with that. And you're right. The por- porn for men especially is very uniformative and it's very alien like in the way that it's Xerox and all the women look the same and all of the everything. It, it's, it's very like a kind of programming. It teaches men that that's what sex is and that's how sex should be. And it puts a lot of pressure on young women to try to emulate that. And young women already have so much anxiety, so much pressure about body image, about all of this stuff from the time they're 12 years old and are sexualized for the first time or catcalled, you know, from someone who thinks they look older. And porn doesn't really recognize the kind of misogyny that that is behind it. And I think a lot, a lot of young men have written me about that chapter and how that chapter has helped them. And the reason I shared that journey, even though it was controversial and it is a controversial part of the book, is because I think that it needs to be talked about. I think sex addiction is prevalent in our culture and people are using pornography and sex to get their survival needs met in the way addicts do. And it's not fair for what you went through and what what other people go through. And yes, I think that we're living in a time, like, I don't know if you know what OnlyFans is, but like very, it's like becoming very normalized to create pornography of yourself and 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 to sell sell images of your naked body or videos and it's and it's just becoming a normalized part of the consensus and i think that's damaging to people and it's not like i'm not sex positive or anything like that but i find that um it it kind of takes away the magical sacred ritual of sex i think it's something that if you were to do something like that would require a ton of intention and spiritual maturity. Typically, typically very young people, they're still working through a lot of programming if they've even started and they don't have that spiritual maturity and intention, even though they seem really tough about it, you know, like I'm so fucking cool. I'm so badass. I'm so tough. You can't hurt me is a mask for a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it can be, it can be a mask. And also I'm facing kind of um, tabloid backlash right now because I said um, in the new issue of King Kong magazine, I, I said that I identify with demisexuality, which means that you don't have sex with someone unless you are in love with them or you have an emotional connection to them. And I said that because demisexuality to me is aligned with magical sexuality. And I just thought it was a way to organize that kind of chaos. But a lot of people are offended by that. But I think the fact that they're offended by it shows me that in our culture right now, there is a lack of discussion of what true intimacy is because people are so used to devoid hookup apps and devoid pornography. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great thing to talk about, whether it stirs up controversy or not. We like to share our perspectives. I run a program called Queen and something we talk about is how women are trained to be pleasing rather than pleased. That experience that I just described about, you know, realizing 
I was, I was married to a sex addict was a moment of realizing my entire life, my sexuality has been a tool that I use to control men <laughs> and yeah. to, and, and yeah. to get the certain reaction I want, but I'm not really getting pleasure out of it. It's just a tool. It was like a, a I knew how to be pleasing. I knew how to turn it on. And then exactly. it, it brought me to a point in my life where I was like, but what about me being pleased and ter- what pleases me? What, you know, what turns me on? And it, it, exactly. it, it opened up a whole Pandora's box. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of, for a lot of men discussion of, of women's sexuality can sometimes make them uncomfortable because it, because it, then it would take them out of the place of being objectified and being used as a tool. And it would put pressure on them to actually figure out what, what a woman wants and uh, what the individualized woman wants rather than just using them as kind of a blow up doll or, you know, what pornography teaches young men and other men teach men about sex. Mm-hmm. You have a section that I loved also on creating an entity and you talk about entity food. And for me, this like dovetailed so perfectly into the sex magic and alchemy chapter where you talked about masturbation and summoning a semen demon. That made me howl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's sort of um, based in like the, the Kabbalistic texts also, you know, like it, it can be kind of a low vibrational thing to, to feed your ego in that way. I mean, I'm not anti-masturbation per se, but I just have had so much experience with energy and magic and being conscious of it. I know how powerful sex magic energy is. And I think when you are in a come down crash state, which is what pornography and masturbation usually brings to you, that's when, that's when all the sleep paralysis and the low vibrations come to you. Like you said, like they feed off of those negative vibrations. Okay. So I've challenged many a guest on the show about the word vibration. So it would be unfair to not also challenge you on this, Alex. (laughs) What do you, so what do you mean when you're talking about low vibrations? I just mean, I don't, I don't mean good or bad. I mean, like, uh, like a, a, a low vibration would be a kind of a lower emotional state or frequency. It's just a vibe. You know, vibration is a bigger abstract word. It could be like high vibes and low vibes. So, you know, a high vibe might be being very happy, ecstasy, euphoria, you know, a, a good feeling, feeling connected. A lower vibe might be self-hating, you know, a crash, a come down, a darker feeling, but Mm -hmm. it's your individual soul's perception of how you engage with those states. You know, some dark person out there might believe, you know, who's working with darker demons and all that stuff. Maybe that's his happiness, you know? So I don't know if a vibration is fixed. Some people would say vibration is fixed. I don't know. So you're speaking more metaphorically, like good vibes, man. Yeah, well, well, metaphorically and metaphysically, like I think emotions have frequency and energy. I think, mm-hmm. I think magic really is about learning how to direct, redirect and become conscious and locate those emotions to, you know, turn them into little potions and that you can use to... To, to alchemize rather than being taken over by your emotional states and your reactiveness. Oh you know, I was a, oh, I, I'm emotions a is, person. I'm a cancer. Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Emotions is potions. Pain is seed. Summoning semen demons. I mean, is somebody Not writing magic. this down? Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a book <laughs> of this stuff. 
So good. <laughs> I like the way your mind kind of thinks in these little snippets because they're really easy to take home with you and to turn into something. Speaking of seeds, the way you phrase yeah, things. Exactly. You said something about a pop virus. There's a chapter on gender shape-shifting and how you intentionally created a pop virus. And I thought that was an interesting yeah. thing to bring up in the context of us talking about this virus we're all afraid of, but what about creating pop culture viruses or like a viral sensation that is for the good of all and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because haven't, you know, what COVID has really reminded me of is the power of media. If you are in or a part of the media can create viruses um, that you know will be talked about and create an intention behind that. And hopefully for the positive point of bringing change. You know, if I want to command or court any publicity or attention around myself, I want it to be for the highest good of everyone else. Because I, I've seen what happens when you just do egoic, selfish magic. It doesn't, it doesn't create any real lasting change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we know that you can use marketing. I think marketing is magic. You can use, you can create a, a viral event if you know what you're doing and and timing is right to promote a beautiful piece of music we all can recognize that and honestly that's how we got the current president of the united states to a large degree and yeah i'm not gonna state my opinion on that person except to say it's ignorant to say that he is a stupid person because he's a person who understands exactly what we're talking about right now and how to oh, no, use he everyone. He, he uses NLP, NAC. Absolutely. He's very educated in media manipulation and he's a narcissist. So um, he, he, this, this person loves to the fact that we're talking about him right now, you know, he, he wants to dominate the conversation. He willed it into existence. He did magic in a weird way to be in the position he's in and the American public really fell for it. Yes, we continue to. That's why I like to talk about marketing propaganda in the context of magic. It's like, let me lure you here. Happy hippie witchy. And then all of a sudden I'm like, but this is serious (laughs) because I want people to be aware of what's happening, how they are being programmed, how it shapes their opinions, how it separates them from their, their loved ones, how it can divide an entire country, how it can spread misinformation, and then also how it can empower us and unite us and lift us up. It can do all of that. That's, that's what power is. That's what magic is. It's raw. It's not good nor evil. It's all in how you use it. Yeah, it, it, it's raw. And, you know, I've, I actually share that with you. I kind of want, I did the exact same thing with, with pop magic. I was like, hey, you know, pop magic, you know, like 1-800-POP-MAGIC, have a fun time. And then you get this book and it's like challenging your social media usage, your porn usage, yeah. your, all of your everyday habits. I think, I think that's a lot, that, that's, it's important, you know, to do that. I mean, I'm sure with your podcast, it kind of grew like a virus you know people did you listen to hippie witch have you heard have you heard and people just manifested that you know they they willed it into existence collectively with you you know it's interesting talking about that and then kind of circling back on what we're talking about fame and celebrity i moved to hollywood when i was 19 because i wanted the validation of fame and celebrity and then i realized 
uh, well, I had agoraphobia, panic attacks, high, high anxiety. If I went on an audition, my, my cheeks would literally twitch underneath wow. the scrutiny. And so it was a very, uh, I had a lot to learn about that. And having the podcast, I noticed I will back off at times. I can only handle so much attention and then I kind of go away or I lay off. And I notice all the weird, tricky ways I hide from that. Like, so something I thought I wanted so badly when I was a kid now is something... I just see how people treat public figures and it, it terrifies me. <laughs> it's frightening. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's like a repellent now. It's and scary. I think, it's really yeah. scary. So I have an interesting relationship with it. I'm not running toward it like, Yippee! I just <laughs> sort of, I'm like, okay, this can grow very slowly and organically and I will grow with it. Well, and you also probably noticed and learned that it can be a big distraction in your mind from what really matters. Like when you start to get the download numbers and you start to see the emails and the, you know, and you start to get that attention, it starts to become like kind of not a virus or, but it, it kind of creates a new chamber in your mind. And you're like, wait, this doesn't matter. You know, what really matters is helping others, spirituality and, you know, that your value, your values, but it does become a distraction. So you can only think for the kind of huge public figures or YouTube stars or celebrities of today, how much of a distraction that must be on their brain of thinking about all of that stuff of that level of validation. It almost, it almost becomes not a demon, but it, it holds them hostage. Yeah. I think for me, it becomes just a fear of like stalkers or somebody coming after me or my son, I, it's more of like a fear of the attention. If like, if you get a hundred people's attention, odds are one of those people <laughs> is not. I've gotten some crazy letters. Like yeah. Really yeah. So it's that kind of letters. stuff that really like freaks me out, but I love people. I love people. And I love hearing from that other 99 out of a hundred. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And and I think, you know, beautifully with your soul's path, you know, you kind of are in the exact place that you need to be. You know, maybe you had that dream when you were 19, but you you're you're still, you know, getting attention, but it, you're you're helping people and it's positive, you know? It's almost like there was this beautiful alchemical trans, transformation of that wound maybe. Yeah, and there's a nice little hit of satisfaction and shining light on other people and being like, let's all talk about Alex today, shall we? (laughs) That's very Libra of you. It really is. Yeah. How do you say your last name? Is it Kazemi? Kazemi? Kazemi. Kazemi, yeah. Is that the name you were born with or is that... Yeah, it is is the name I was born with. Really? Wow. That's pretty glamorous. I love it. I love it. I love it. You're a person who's embraced glamour too. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share a little bit? Let's have some fun here. Let's have some fun. We've kind of teased talking about celebrities, but you early in the book talk about a black candle magic spell that changed your life and really led you to working with Marilyn Manson or meeting him or how did that all happen? Well, you know, I, like you said, I, I do think glamour is important because I think I want to exist as if I'm going to be in the public eye for young people, I want to kind of show them that you can do this if you want it. And, and to, you know, whether that's a part of their path or not, or to inspire people in the way I've been inspired by glamorous aesthetics and seeing the magic and 
power of it because it can really awaken, uh, you know, showing you that you're no different than your icons and, and you can do what you want to do. Um, with Manson, that was a very interesting spell. That was from my early days of witchcraft. I had done it on a Capricorn new moon, maybe before his birthday. And I think the, in the waxing moon phase, I did, so I did this spell, sorry, I did this ritual to kind of manifest him in my life because I had always saw him on TV and always, you know, felt a paternal relationship to him or, you know, you know, sometimes um, when we don't have a proper secure attachment in our attachment style, we can kind of create an attachment to an entity or an idea of someone in our head to get that kind of paternal secure attachment. So I felt like I kind of did that with Manson growing up and because he was always weird and different and persecuted for being different and he celebrated being different. So I always felt connected to him. So I did this spell in which I wanted to manifest him in my life and him helping me. So I did that spell. And then in around two weeks on the waxing moon phase, someone texted me and was like, you're not going to believe this. I just met Marilyn Manson at a party and he gave me his number and I really changed. I said, give me his number now. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was, I was ready to do it. So I got his number and um, it was on his, birth, uh, on his birthday. I texted him and I didn't know how magic worked at that point. I was just, you know, I thought it would be instant. I thought a fairy would appear. I don't know. You know, I didn't really know how it was going to work. <laughs> so I was in the kitchen and I texted him and I was like, hi, this is Alex, you know, um, you know, I, I would really like to talk to you about an idea I have. I, am, I, have I'm, I have a really good idea that I know you would love and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of left my Blackberry in my, the kitchen and I was like, okay, he hasn't responded in like 20 minutes. I'm just going to go to bed. So I'm laying in bed and my Blackberry notification goes off. And then I go into my room. I mean, no, I go into the kitchen and then I check the phone and I got a text from him and he's like, Hey, it's MM. Sorry. I've been with Johnny Depp. What's up? And I freaked out. I was like, Oh my God, magic is real. Like, this is real. I can use this like forever. I'm going to use magic forever. Like reality has been bent to my will. Like I just was losing it and I was so happy. And from there, yeah, we ended up working and collaborating for the, for the next few years from that point and helping each other out. And it was just, it changed everything, that spell. You know, I wouldn't be here right now without it. Yeah, he's a person who has used glamour magic. That's why I thought it was fun to bring him up in that yeah. context. I mean, it's a great example of, you know, your moment of realizing, wow, this stuff actually works. But also, he's a very magical person. His video or his song, I Put a Spell on You, his cover of that is, well, it ties with Nina Simone as the best cover ever for I Put a Spell on You, but people... He does a lot of magic. You know, he's tied to magic and a lot of paranormal, weird experiences started to happen when I started engaging with his energy. And that's warning to, you know, anyone, you know, who doesn't think that just because we're not physically there with each other, that our souls and the energies of other people that we communicate with on apps or social media or email or any of that stuff doesn't come into your orbit. Energy is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, all of this stuff too is very exciting and cool, but I don't want to give people the impression that that's all this book is. It's very grounded in spirituality. And I love like at the end, you say something about give yourself the gift of believing in magic. I think that's just beautiful. I think I need to go tweet that out or something. But also <laughs> there's like a there's like a meditation smackdown at the end. <laughs> yeah. 
there's a little chapter on meditation like uh, 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 you're not getting away with not meditating if you want this life Oh, I mean, meditation, you know, not just TM, but any, 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 any type of meditation is so integral to having a peaceful, magical life. Oh, I mean, hold on. When we I just did had t- a very freaky, demonic, like, thing happen on the recording. You're going to have to say that again. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It was oh very God. weird. <laughs> he always, always happens when I bring him up. Wow. Okay. Um, the beautiful um, people. <laughs> So the, the so TM so TM um, is a meditation that I practice, the transcendental meditation. Um, it's not for everyone if they don't want to try it, but it's my favorite form because it really taught me the power of meditation and other the power of other meditations because the internal peace that you want is within, and it's so crazy that that secret has been hidden from us. And you know we hear it on Oprah, we hear it in New Age stuff, and we're just like, oh, whatever. No, 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 no. It's serious. You have to meditate. If you have time to use YouTube, listen to this podcast, you have 20 minutes in your day to do some type of meditation. You deserve to nourish your soul in that way. Yeah. It's really foundational to performing magic too, because you need to be able to... Focus. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You have to be able to focus. You have to be able to concentrate. It does a number of things, but that's one of the things that it will do for you. Exactly. And I'm, I'm Sagittarius moon. So I kind of have that archer of, of, you know, of needing to focus with the bow and arrow. And um, I think that, you know, it's, it's also really important for us to kind of look through our astrological charts to find the type of meditations that, you know, will work for us with our sun signs. And um, I, I kind of really, really believe in the power of astrology in connection with magic. I don't think my magic would work without astrology. I'm very serious about that. Can you give us an, uh, another example of that, of why you think that's important? Um, because if you really just, as a skeptic, try to study the, the frequencies and the energies that come from the moon phases, it's really bizarre how they align with the archetype. Like on a Libra moon, I can... I have so much air energy that I just want to scroll and I just want to be stimulated and I kind of just want to like be chill and zone out. And on a cancer moon, I might be super emotional and sensitive and thinking of perceived hurts and not even be controlling any of this. It's just literally watching the autopilot responses from my body. So the planets really do emit a lot of power and there's a lot of power in astrology. And, you know, if you start to practice magic when you're ready for it, I would, I would be, you would, you could learn a lot about yourself through your astrological birth chart. I did something one year that was really interesting that I would recommend anybody who's new to what you're talking about, try. I did something called moon mapping where just like every two and a half days, you notice what phase, you know, what sign the moon is moving into, what phase it's in. And then you just kind of, it's just like a little journey or a little journal where you're writing down what's happening to you, how you're feeling, but also what sign the moon is in. And then it gives you like this map where you can look back, like what happened last time the moon was in Libra or, or it was waxing in Libra. You can start to notice patterns and things like that. It was, it was oh, it's so crazy. I didn't know there was a name for it. That's so interesting. Yeah. I would hundred percent recommend moon mapping and, and, you know, especially if you are ruled by the moon or if you have any cancer placements, you know, and also when you start to do your magic, you can start to see 
Um, you can go back and look at that data. If you do a spell, it might manifest on that same moon phase. That's happened dozens of times for me. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, I love that your Black Candle Marilyn Manson spell was on the Capricorn moon and, you know, that that all came into play too because you can, you can make all those connections even just hearing you talk about it. He, yeah, he, he loves Libras also because he, he, I feel like he's, he's dated a lot of them, which is weird to me because he's, um, you know, an earth sign, but I guess he's Leo moon. So maybe the Leo and Libra energy can interact. I don't know. Um, I feel like Libras really appreciate aesthetics and, and creativity. So I can see why they would be attracted to him. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe it's just like a, a balance thing. It's just the universe balancing itself out a little bit there. <laughs> what, what is the craziest sign you've dated? Oh, crazy. I can't say crazy, but I can say that by far the most intense. And I, I definitely am attracted to them is Scorpio. And it's such a cliche to say that, but sometimes... What else is going on in your chart? Like, I have a have Scorpio moon, so I tend to be attracted to Scorpio sun. Oh, wow. Scorpio moon is... that's There's a lot of occult magic in the Scorpio moon and lots of alchemy and, and transformation. It's a yeah, powerful, have, powerful moon sign. I have an interesting balance. I have Capricorn rising, Libra sun, Scorpio moon. So I'm Cap rising as well. Oh, high fives. High five. High five. Yeah, we get, we get the shit done. <laughs> exactly. The goat. Well, we get it done. Okay. So first of all, I'm definitely going to link to your book. I hope people will check it out. Where can they find you, though, in terms of a URL? If they're just listening on the go and they might not... Okay, well, popmagic with a K.com and alexkazemi.com, A-L-E-X-K-A-Z-E-M-I.com. And I have no social media. So if you are listening to this podcast and you read the book and something helps you, I'm very late 90s Gen X vibes. I have an email called fanmail at alexkazemi.com and you can email it letters and I'll, I'll read them in reply. Alex Kazemi, the 25-year-old who uses a BlackBerry and has no <laughs> social media. I'm, I'm like an astral like hallucination in a weird way, interrupting the matrix. Oh, okay. I love it. I love it. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe we've run out of time because now I want to be like, let's talk about why you're not on social media. How about this? I, let's end with, with my favorite question. What is one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Hopefully regarding magic. Um, being kind to people, believing in your full potential, realizing that you're no different and you're, you're not inadequate or defective or broken because you don't have something that you, don't, that you want right now. You can get whatever your peers have and you can work really hard to manifest whatever you want and internal peace comes from within. And meditating. <laughs> and meditating. And meditating. I, I, ha- I have to ask you about the social media thing. I have a couple minutes here. What, that was a, a deliberate choice, clearly. I really struggle um, with sensory overload in my life. So that's one part of it. It can be a really difficult thing for me, but it's kind of worked in my benefit, that kind of deficit, because now I kind of get to be away from that 
that room of everyone talking, you know, and, and I can find it to be very distracting and it's very dangerous for the ego. It's just food for the ego. But for the people who do use it and don't have that sensory overload problem that I do, and they're using it for the highest good and it's positive, I think that's fine. But I do think it can be very toxic if you're just sitting there scrolling, thinking of things that you never think about unless you're on social media. Past generations could turn off MTV, close a magazine, you know, having this endless feed of comparative thinking is going to just drive you insane and fill you with cognitive distortions that are dangerous for your potential. Wow. You're such an interesting person, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this episode to come out. And here it is. It's out. It is out. I had a lot of resistance to putting this together today. And and now I feel free to ramble. So let me tell you why. I was talking about at the beginning here wearing face masks because we are currently on lockdown. There is a stay-at-home order across California. I think all of the United States right now because of the coronavirus. We're all trying to prevent the spread and flatten the curve. And the kid and I, we have been going to the grocery store not quite every two weeks. I'm trying to make it every two weeks, but I'm having a hard time making that far. So it's like a little more than a week and a half between grocery trips. And I find I really don't like it because we have to gear up with the masks and the gloves. I'm a little paranoid because I'm a mom. I'm like, don't touch your face. Don't touch anything. Don't stand by any people. And then there's this whole process when we get the groceries home where I I have, we put them all on the ground and then I, I decontaminate everything. I wipe everything down and get rid of any packaging that I can. And it's just a whole thing. And then, of course, there's the hand washing. We have a decontamination station where we put things to sit for a couple of days, like whatever we touched. I, I rub down with alcohol. It's it's a whole operation. <laughs> Today we went, we were going to go to Sprouts and Eagle Rock and there was a line around the block. So then we're like, well, let's go see what's going on at Trader Joe's. There was a line down the street. I'm like, hell no. Also, hell no. No to Sprouts, no to Trader Joe's. Let's go across town and see what's going on at the kid's favorite grocery store, which is Vaughn's. This very specific Vaughn. So we went there. There wasn't as much of a line. So we went in. We did the whole thing. But I get sort of irritated by the whole process and impatient. I mean, I go through the steps of all of it. But when I finally land, when everything's over, the hands have been washed the lotion has been applied. I just want to. And now with the with the with the pulled muscle in my back. I just want to lay down with the what did my mom send me? What is it called? What are those heaters? A heating pad. My mom sent me an electric heating pad that looks like a blanket. It's like my little heating pad blankie for my pulled muscle. I just want to lay on the couch and chill. And speaking of pop culture, watch Gilmore Girls. <laughs> but here I am. No, no, no. I had already edited this episode for you. I edited the interview. All I had to do was record the beginning and the end. And then after this, I will have to create the little 
image that goes with it and put up the links but that doesn't take that much time and I'm like just do it Joe make yourself do it go through the steps you know you'll like it once you once you sit down in your chair and you're talking in the microphone and I am and I do I find I like it once once I get over the resistance I'm fine now it's very important that we talk about Gilmore Girls because this is a pop culture episode. I'm super into the magic, but I'm also super into the pop culture. And my thing with Gilmore Girls right now is ridiculous. I've I've talked a bit about this on Patreon. So for those of you who are hanging with me over there, you feel free to roll your eyes at me for repeating this again. But I worked at Warner Brothers back in the day on a TV show and we shared offices I think it was the last two seasons of Gilmore Girls that we shared office space with them. I worked in the writing side of production. And so the writing side of production for Gilmore Girls was the next door over. And so we interacted a bunch. And when people came to visit me at work, because people want to visit you when you work at Warner Brothers, they want to they want to go see if they can see any TV or movie stars and look at the sets. It's all very exciting. People always wanted to go to see the Gilmore Girls set. Like that was huge. People would get really excited that I worked right next to Gilmore Girls, and I did not care. Because I never watched Gilmore Girls. (laughs) I loved the set. I used to walk through the set every single day, at least once a day, to fetch my coffee. I would walk through Stars Hollow, but it meant nothing to me because I I didn't watch the show. And my first season working there, they actually made it snow in Stars Hollow. And keep in mind, we're in Hollywood. It doesn't snow here. So I thought that was very, very excited. And I drug my friend Peter over to Stars Hollow. And we had this whole photo shoot in the snow. (laughs) And again, I cared not. I didn't watch Gilmore Girls. So what did the kid and I start doing now that we're on lockdown and just it's just the two of us in this house 24 7 we have marathon watched all seven seasons of Gilmore Girls and the year in a life special that they did those four episodes which is definitely not as good as the original Gilmore Girls and I'm loving it I'm loving it I find this is interesting With pop culture, sometimes I just can't get on the bandwagon when a thing is happening in real time. I feel like I miss the train. It takes off without me and people are way too into it for me to like get on at that point. I feel like I've already kind of missed it. And I think Gilmore Girls was a little bit like that for me. And it's so funny to discover it now so far after the fact And Tanner loves it. My son absolutely loves it. I'll be like, aren't you sick of this? Don't you want to watch something else? And he's like, no, Gilmore Girls. And we literally started it from the beginning. It was all over. And I was like, okay, kid, that's it. It's over. It's done. And and he was like, and one more time. So we started it from the top. So it's... 
It's really weird to be into a show so far after it having been a thing. But it's a thing for the kid and I. And then it's just extra weird because of what I just said. I recognize Stars Hollow. I used to fetch my coffee walking through Stars Hollow every single day at work. And I'll be watching the show and be like, Oh, my office was right over there. (laughs) That's where Peter and I did our photo shoot. It's just really, really funny. And another thing that's fun about watching it now so far after the fact is I get to see all the people who guest starred or just made little tiny appearances here and there who went on later to be big stars. That would be John Hamm, hello, Mad Men. One of my very favorite characters is Suki. I think the show's all about Suki and Jackson. I love Suki and Jackson. And Melissa McCarthy plays Suki. And she's a big movie star now. Milo V. I won't try to say his last name. But uh, Sebastian Bach really tripped me out. He was in a lot of episodes. And I was a little bit offended about that because... Back in the day when I was like 14 or 15, I had a huge crush on Sebastian Bach. He was a big rock star (laughs) for those of us who liked hair metal back in the day. Although he had long, silky, straight hair. He did not have the big, 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 big hairsprayed hair, which made him a little bit different. And I was like thinking, he's too good for Gilmore Girls. But apparently he wasn't. And it was kind of sweet and fun that he did that. Um, Kristen Ritter was on a few episodes, so I kind of got a kick out of that. And then it's also interesting watching it now so far after the fact because you see how culture has changed, how we progress as a culture. And there are so many things that you could not get away with saying today that they said back then to where I'm experiencing it as shocking. Like they say, they use the word gay, like he's so gay and not a cool way it sounds homophobic they do a lot of that there's a lot of body shaming women shaming other women for having fat thighs and things like that when they don't even have fat thighs there's making fun of people with special needs which I always find especially alarming I really hate that so I mean no judgment I know that's where we were as a culture at that time it's just interesting to see the progression and then it's also fun watching like the evolution of technology (laughs) the cell phone evolution and I think that the hair and the fashion though actually holds up pretty well maybe it's time that we got weirder as a society maybe we're not weird enough because I remember being a kid looking back on like the 60s or the 50s or the 70s even and being like whoa That looks so out there, so out of style, or so retro. And now I guess I can look back on the 90s that way, kind of. But it looks all pretty hip and cool. Like, you can walk around in that shit now, and it it looks legit. It looks like a part of what's going on right now. I feel like maybe it's time for big hair. Let's bring back the Aquanet. I don't know. (laughs) Something more extreme. We certainly have the time. So, (laughs) oh, it feels good to get a rant out of my system. I don't even know if that made any sense. I just sort of like let it rip. I just let it rip. This is what the coronavirus has done to my brain. I don't know. Oh, oh, one other thing. Speaking of Gilmore Girls and the coronavirus, 
I actually found an Etsy seller that was selling Gilmore Girls themed face masks and I bought one. It is from Luke's Diner. It is a fabric that is made out of a a print of Luke's Diner. (laughs) And I think I'm going to have to include a picture of myself in this mask in the newsletter. I have a bunch of links for the newsletter that will go out with this episode So there will be a new witch review for those of you who are looking for interesting internet things to do to kill a bit of time when you're sitting around. Don't sit around too much. You need to take periodic breaks from the sitting. Do as I say, not as I do, because you don't want to pull a muscle in your back. (laughs) It's not good. You got to get up and stretch and move and go for a walk. I'm actually really good about doing that. I guess I'm just not doing it enough. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But (laughs) anyhow, I have to say wearing my mask is a little bit, a little bit more appealing now that I have a Luke's Diner mask. And yeah, if you all are in need of face masks for however long this The situation is going to last. There's some pretty cute, fun, silly ones happening over on Etsy. And then you can support small biz, which I think is always a cool thing to do. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.